I'll have you know, Peter, that the duck is one of the most noble, agile, and intelligent creatures of the animal kingdom. But they're wimpy. They don't even have teeth. Neither do hockey players. Welcome to Growing Up Punk, the podcast about punk rock and all of its friends. My name is David. About to set you up for an interview that uh, Aaron did. We're continuing our record label series. Of course, last week, Aaron and I shared our top five records each from Victory Records. And today, on this episode, Aaron is uh, hanging out with Todd Mackey of With Honor. As we mentioned, we want to do this series where we share our lists and then we look to get a list from an artist that was actually on the label that we're talking about. So that's what we got here, Todd, uh, like, like I said, from With Honor. Aaron and Todd go back a number of years. And uh, yeah, this is going to be a good one. Going to share some more great music, which I think we kind of like really between the list that Aaron and I provided and the list that Todd provided, I think we really kind of get it all uh, as far as Victory Records is concerned. Of course, before we move on, get into the episode just wanted to say make sure you go follow us on our social media at growing punk pod you'll find that on instagram twitter stuff like that we're on facebook as well uh, and you can hit us up at growingpunkpod.com. Uh, we got some great stuff there and uh, wherever you're listening make sure you rate and review you tell all your friends but let's not waste any more time let's get into aaron and todd from with honor sharing his uh, favorite releases from victory records so let's uh let's just get right into it what's what's the first time you remember hearing about victory Records? do you remember what band it was or what release it was um yeah no interestingly enough i mean i was introduced to victory records i i have to imagine i mean so it was common to go to shows and and if it weren't like rick who fronted the band 25 to life it was someone else who had a distro and and the most common thing like uh like that unified a lot of us in the mid to late nineties, as we were getting into the scene was, you know, ordering records from the victory catalog. Yeah. Right. So, you know, I remember looking at, I mean, I remember vividly being like, Oh man, am I ordering this donuts record or cast iron hike? And like, you know, at the time I'm, I'm like thinking like, Oh man, you know, these are two bands. I have no clue. I, you know, do I go with like what seems almost like a silly name? Do I go with something that's more serious? And, you know, on from there. So, you know, a couple of the records that would be in my five would be the ones that were more definitively like my entry, you know, um, to to victory. But, you know, Buried Alive and um, Snapcase. I mean, those were the records that for me were the first like definitive victory records. Um, and of course, from there, like Earth Crisis and Strife and that whole scene, the California takeover, um, you know, that was what. I thought of victory and obviously, you know, it doesn't hurt that the, the logo was a bulldog and totally yeah. matched, you know? <laughs> um, but, but from there, I mean, obviously victory went on a number of, you can't say like tangents, but I mean, they branched out oh, yeah. massively with various trends. So, um, you know, but for me, it was always the, it was always the kind of aggro mid nineties hardcore that, when I got into victory, that was the stuff that I really relied on them to bring to the table. If that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And it's cool that, uh, your selections, I'm glad you picked the ones you did. Cause you know, a lot of them kind of come from that, that earlier part of victory. Yeah. Like you've said, it's, it's a very diverse record label now, you know, like they kind of went through the whole kind of pop rock thing and also the post hardcore screamo. And now I think it's kind of just all over the place, which, 
you know, which is because there's been so much time and and uh, and I mean, yeah, there's been so much that's happened over the years with victory, you know, with lawsuits and bans and all that nonsense. So we're we're gonna scrap all that and just keep it positive <laughs> and and talk about the good stuff. But um, yeah, tons tons of great bands on this label. You know, as I was going through the roster this week and. And I was like, man, like there's so many, so many standout bands, you know, and lots of different genres too. And so, um, yeah, really, really cool to get to to talk about it with you. And um, yeah, so let's uh, get right to it. So the first one we're going to talk about is Hate Breeds Satisfaction is the Death of Desire. the debut studio album by American metalcore band Hatebreed. It was released on November 11th, 1997 through Victory. This was the band's breakthrough album with the majority of critics praising it, even calling it a hardcore classic. It lifted them out from the underground scene and thanks to the rise and fame they got, a record deal with Universal Records. So do you remember do you remember the first time that you heard this album and kind of like what it made you feel? I mean, it, it Hatebreed has this special place for me because, you know, they're a Connecticut band. So I grew up in Connecticut. Right. You know, going to shows. I mean, Jamie booked uh, a lot of my my various bands first shows or, you know, the first shows that mattered. You know, I mean, even some of the silliest, like, I mean, I remember a, a show he booked Life in Your Way onto, which was like, I don't know, like Incantation and Goat Horror or some crazy death metal show. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. You guys fit right in. Yeah, it was, I mean, we're home anywhere. But yeah, I think, uh, you know, especially with his tie, I mean, he put out the, the With Honor demo and was always a huge advocate. I mean, this obviously is after Satisfaction broke and when he, you know, he constantly reinvested in the scene. But yeah, I, I don't think, you know, there wasn't a time where all of a sudden I had the record and it was it was like uh, not a concept because they were always around. I mean, Hate Read played every show with anyone who mattered um you know in those years leading up and and they were beloved i mean so it was more like if if i if i'm honest and it might be my age which you share more or less you know it might be looking back and saying yeah i don't know it almost is sewn into the entire fabric of like my sense of of my own personal hardcore landscape, like all the way back to the beginning, you know, I'm not like a huge, like, you know, kind of aggro hardcore dude. I, you know, that was never my vibe. And, 
but there's something about Haybreed and and it was this album that did it first with like the opening track Empty Promises when you know Jamie's saying how can you save yourself or how can you save me when you can't even save yourself and it's like you know there's so many anthemic lines that have come since that just you know I don't know they make you feel like 10 feet tall and superhuman and it was it was that feeling and then seeing them explode yeah that I feel like this record became emblematic of how much potential there was to impact people and to like create a vibe and yeah. And I mean, to see Jamie and and that crew as business people, you know, just like put their elbows out and make a way. And I mean, I still think he is, is without a doubt, like one of the sharpest, you know, music business minds. I mean, it's unbelievable to me. Uh, what they've been able to do. So, you know, this was really the advent of, of that, you know, that career, you know, all the things that led to like headbangers ball host and, you know, just unbelievably massive tours and a a following well beyond bands that were like, you know, mainstream and major label that, that should have had followings, um, you know, that exceeded theirs. But yeah, years later, with honor would open for them. You know, they were gracious enough to take us out, you know, handfuls of times. And it was insane. I mean, they would play some club in like, you know, random tertiary city in South Carolina. And I mean, there'd be 2000, 3000 people there just freaking out. And, you know, I think it, it's how catchy it is. And it's how, uh, yeah. Uh, just how, uh, I don't know, it sort of pulls some sort of spirit out of your chest and, Mm. you know, shows you who you are in in a lot of ways, um, at least for me. Was that an album that you got into and that you have that memory for? I feel like it might be. Well, it actually isn't. So, I mean, it's so cool hearing kind of how you came up. I I mean, I I knew they were from that area, but I just kind of forgot. And so it's so cool that you kind of had that connection and saw them come up and kind of got to, you know, come up with them. Um, I don't, I don't think I actually got into them probably until Perseverance. Um, when this album came out, like, yeah, it was a 1997. I was still like pretty much straight into like skate punk and pop punk and stuff. And, you know, kind of getting a little bit into some heavier stuff like stretch Armstrong and kind of the more hardcore punk, but not necessarily the kind of more straight up hardcore stuff. And so, yeah, it wasn't until Perseverance came out. Um, I mean, also at that time, like I wouldn't have had the internet. And so, you know, I just, whatever was kind of in magazines I was reading or, you know, and being in a small town, right? Like everything kind of took a bit longer to kind of get down the pipeline. And so, um, yeah, I don't even know if I uh, knew of hate breed until perseverance came out. Um, Oh yeah. No, I, I imagine, I mean, they were touring it really hard, you know? Um, but I still, I have to imagine, I mean, Western Canada didn't really open up that way at least for us bands until even, I don't know, like Oh three, Oh four, Oh five. I mean, I feel like, you know, uh, it was a few bands that just really kind of anchored the scene out there that started to bring bigger tours through and kind of, especially for that, you know, Winnipeg, Regina, Edmonton, Calgary area. Yeah. Like, I mean, even when with honor started in, you know, Oh, 2000, 2001. I mean, it was, it was like, I mean, that wasn't an area that we thought we could get to. Right. You know? Yeah. So, I mean, it so was, that makes sense. Yeah. There was definitely smaller, 
um, you know, communities and shows. And yeah, like the town I was in, I was four hours from either Regina or Winnipeg. So a lot of times, like, even if I did know of a show, like it didn't necessarily mean I, I could go to it, but, um, yeah. yeah, it's actually, uh, with this one memory I'll always have with this album is Matt. So who played in, in means, um, he got this album and so he would listen to it and, and I think his dad found it. So like we were at his, his parents' <laughs> place and his dad had, I think, taken like our band van at the time um, to go fill it with gas for us or something. And, and we came back into the van. The CD was like just like thrown on the floor kind of thing. Because I think the CD booklet was in there, you know, with the explicit lyrics or whatever. And sure. And so I always just, I'll always think of just getting a kick and be like, oh man, sorry. That, that kind of sucks your dad found that. But like, I don't know if his dad actually said anything. He just took out the CD player and threw it on the floor. But <laughs> Yeah. So. Yeah. You know, it's funny because I mean, before I, I knew, I mean, like when I started, I, I, I the first couple of shows I went to, I mean, people were out in hate breed gear. I mean, it was like, you know, they were a presence already in, you know, before this 95, 96. Um, and, uh, you know, or at least, you know, I mean, it just seemed like, cause I, I grew up in Northern Connecticut. So I was going to shows in like Western mass, Northampton, Agawam and you know they were playing up there and so um exact time frames I feel like are fuzzy but I mean I just remember seeing their gear around seeing their name you know and you know yeah they were the just the heaviest like just most in your face and then like going to the first couple shows I saw them I mean it was insane I was scared for my life you know um and not insane like you know people literally trying to hurt each other it's just like yeah it's it's moshing and like just energy on a level that I, man, I had never experienced. And so, yeah, I think the the coolest thing was just how Connecticut they were. And we were all so stoked and so proud, you know, for them just exploding after this record. I mean, you know, and into perseverance, it's like they go from a band that put this out on a club show, you know, like a club show CD release and and then they were like doing Ozfest, you know, only a couple of years later, it seemed. And uh, but then they'd always do like you know secret special guest shows at all the the craziest small local venues. And you know Jamie was always booking shows. I mean he was all over the world and he was still like booking mm. Connecticut full time. Yeah, know? that's rad. So yeah, is I mean there's obviously a, a huge. Uh, debt that anybody who's into punk and hardcore in the Northeast, but specifically Connecticut, I mean, that we owe, you know, all of those guys, um, but Jamie, especially. Yeah. Have you, have you kept up kind of with the rest of their discography? Uh, yeah. I mean, I listen to stuff here and there. I would say that in general, like I, I'm kind of, it's off my radar a bit, you know, in the last like five, 10 years. So yeah. I'm not super up on what's going on, but that's just like life in general. I mean, you have kids and, you know, start having to like pay attention to like the myriad of things that that, uh, that come with a, a totally different sort of position in life that way. And yeah, for sure. Um, and and in general, like you know, my musical tastes they haven't changed. I mean, I love punk and hardcore, and there's like various records uh, even that have come out within the last year that I'm you know completely into. But I feel like the things that really turn my head are like fewer and further between. You know. Yeah, well, they they put out an awesome album just at the end of uh, last year. I think it maybe came out in November, and uh, yeah, like they're they're one of those bands that that I always like. I 
haven't played, paid like super close attention to them. I mean, I'll always check out their albums, but this last one, for whatever reason, just was like, man, it just hit at the right time. Maybe just because it was kind of at the end of the year, there was less releases coming out. But yeah, there's there's some really really killer songs on that, and it's just cool to see that they're you know they're still staying heavy. It's still the same band, you know, even the same logo. You know, you see it and you know it. You know what to expect, and I I like that out of music. You know, I. Most of the bands I love kind of stick to stick to a sound, and so the, sure. I I like when you kind of know what to expect. But yeah, awesome. Yeah, moving on is a Snapcase progression through unlearning. recorded and mixed in a period of two weeks with producer Steve Evitz. Uh, the guitarist John Salemi recorded the album with full-blown chicken pox. Lucky him. And noted that the album's <laughs> recording was very, very quick. The album was released April 1997. The album is considered to be revolutionary by many fans of hardcore. What do you, what do you think of that? <laughs> I mean, it, I just, I remember hearing Caboose on some samplers, some victory sampler. And I, tr- I tried ahead of this episode to figure out what that was. And I, I couldn't nail it down. I just, I didn't have, I, I don't have any of that stuff anymore. Yeah. Um, and, and I just couldn't figure out, like I was searching the internet trying to figure out like what it must've been. 
But regardless, I mean, there was two things, I should say three things that, that that song and then this album just crushed me on first listen. I I heard that song and I heard the snare drum and I I grew up playing drums. So my first instrument are drums. And then I played guitar and then I sang, you know, for a band. Uh, But like I heard the snare and I was just like, man. Is that like the high pitch kind of pingy snare? Yeah, it was like it became definitive, you know, in this kind of like it was all it wasn't quite a piccolo must have been metal brass or something. But it just it just cut and it was so punchy. And that combined with these like really mechanical sounding guitars and riffs, you know, that's super dissonant, but very like rhythmic and very precise, you know, rhythm type licks uh, and riffs. And, um, you know, that, and then, you know, Daryl's voice on top of that, where you're just like, man, is that a human being? Yeah, like, it's very unique. What's going on? You know, th- all of that just set this tone where I was like, man, I've never heard anything like this. And then the lyrics just blew me away. And it's funny because going back to it, you know, there are ideas that I feel like this record you know, put on my radar as a, as a young person that I had no idea how to appreciate fully. And now looking back and especially as a parent, I'm like, man, what an, what an amazing perspective to gain. I mean, like, you know, the whole freedom from within concept, you know, just like getting to like that caboose is like all about connecting to yourself, getting past like, you know, the things other people expect of you and, and think of you. And, and I mean, that to me became over time in hardcore became almost stock. But at that time, like I had never really been confronted with that and to be confronted with that at such energy. And then, you know, to get into this record and to go see them play. And you're just like, dude, I mean, unbelievably tight band, insane energy and people just freaking out connecting over this type of content. I mean, these, this was like the first record I remember being, you know, convinced that hardcore was it for me. Hmm. And I, and I kind of didn't look back from there. Like it defined what I came to expect um, and what I wanted to bring as a lyricist. And also like as a, as a musician in a band, like what I expected the singer in that band to contribute. It had to matter. It had to be mm. from that, that person's core or like, why, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and it's interesting because I look back now and I'm like, Oh yeah, no, that, that is hardcore. But you know, I mean, it wasn't until bands like, you know, Snapcase in this case, but you know, a variety of other bands really released this type of material and made it that way. Yeah, and it's so unique. Like even just comparing it with a band like Hatebreed, you know, both bands would be in that in that hardcore realm, but just such a different take on on the aggression and the emotion and and dynamic. And this was another one that I I didn't know of until um, I saw them on the End Transmission um, tour cycle. And I just remember, I don't even think I had like I wouldn't have known much of them. I went to see a different. I think there was uh, they were on tour with Hope's Fall. And so I went to see Hope's Fall, and, and uh, I think actually Snapcase was headlining, and it just, like, there was something about 
the way they played live and like it was so intense but it's really dynamic like it was at least in transmission it was a bit more kind of high and low it's not just like in your face hardcore like Hatebreed would be and uh yeah it would just always stand out as 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 just something special it's not it's not a type of kind of hardcore that i super connect with um but when i put it on like especially in transmission um that's the one i know the most of theirs like it just kind of pulls me back to that time and that intensity is just i don't know there's something really special about them yeah yeah this this era i mean i i'm not the i don't want to be the guy who's like oh man aaron you missed it (laughs) (laughs) i'm sure i missed a lot but but this era and in the northeast i mean they're also from buffalo new york so like that's like you know from where i grew up that's maybe eight hours drive but like they were out to play boston and you know connecticut new york city often and i mean there was just such an energy and and man again it's like the spirit of this band, which this record captured so completely. And, and if they recorded it in two weeks and dudes were sick, of course it had to. Right. I mean, it was really just what was there, Yeah. but like it, there was just, I just, it brings me this feeling of anticipation, you know, the sweaty palms and the like, Oh man, am I standing in the right place? Like, am I going to, you know, get to really like eke out everything I want to do at this show? Like, it just makes me feel like a kid that way. And, um, yeah, so it was fun to actually think back on this one and, and put this one on the list. Yeah, right on. <laughs> yeah, the follow that up, we've got Grade Under the Radar. Come on! 
third full-length studio album by a hardcore band Grade. It was released by Victory on October 12th, 1999. This is, uh, is Grade a Canadian band? Grade is a Canadian band. Yeah. You should know that, man. Yeah, well... Well, yeah, I thought so. It's, I mean, I've I've heard it lots, and and people mentioned it, and it's one of those bands I've kind of gone to here and there, but just never really dived into. So, um, yeah, it's yeah, I was aware they were Canadian. I just wanted to ask before stating it because I wasn't a hundred percent sure. But, sure. Um, yeah, again, you know, nineteen ninety nine, a, l- a little bit before, you know, kind of things were really kind of exploding. But yeah, how did how did you get uh, into contact with this one? Why does it stand out to you? Yeah, grade. I man, I couldn't tell you the show exactly that I saw them, but um, I I want to say it might have been with Boy Sets Fire, oh, yeah. uh, who you know also put out you know a, a several albums um, after the Eulogy was on Victory, wasn't it? Oh, I, I don't know I their discography look. enough, but anyway, uh, but awesome band and. Uh, you know, fantastic, like really interesting mix of melodic and aggressive vocals and politically minded and blew my head wide open in a whole other way. But I, I want to say it was a show that grade opened for Boy Sets Fire. Either way, I, I could be off because um, at that time, I feel like I saw both of those bands cross paths quite a bit. But but grade when this album came out, it just was so cool. And it broke every rule and expectation I had for, for hardcore, you know, I just had never heard anything like as emotional as this. Are, are you familiar with the record at all? Yeah. Like yeah. You, yeah. I've, I've listened to, yeah, it's definitely a lot yeah. more melodic and it's super melodic. There's lots of rock and roll influence. Um, Kyle, the vocalist has like an unbelievable, like guttural scream that then goes into this very, what would have been very like, typical you know late 90s emo and not emo like get up kids promise ring you know right uh, midwestern u.s emo i mean more like like the emo that we had on the east coast which was like very screamy very like you know exaggerated yeah yeah bands like you know like uh texas is the reason and um, you know, even more so like a band called Garrison would be a good example, like a Boston band that put out on Revelation early on. But um, anyway, long story short, I just, you know, there was something that that they did to meld like, you know, this no idea sound like hot water music, small brown bike with, you know, a more produced hardcore and all this melodic stuff. And then on top of it, you know, I was kind of, I was entering you know, last couple of years of high school, like the relationship drama made more sense and those lyrics resonated, you know? So it's like, it was just this first record where, you know, they were almost like, you know, like love and heartbreak songs that had this intensity. And, and, and I think the other piece was that they had such good structure, like verse chorus, bridge verse chorus type stuff. And the songs were just super catchy, memorable and, seeing them play like you know it just all came together and clicked like another band that you know to me was made on how this stuff translated into a room um and yeah i just i played this record out i just i absolutely loved it um and uh you know it's probably led to 
too much a use of like octave chords for like, you know, uh, guitar melody and all that kind of stuff that got overdone. But they, they were, to me, they were one of the first bands to really lean into that. I mean, even means I would have nailed you for like having to love grade because they're, you know, like unbelievable Canadian band. Plus, you know, means had all these like, you know, kind of, kind of punky octave chord type, you know, mid tempo, you know, two step drum kind of stuff. And yeah, these guys seem to, to me to write the book on it. You know, that's, that's what it introduced to me at the time. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I don't know if it was just because they were like from the East coast um, or East, I mean, Ontario kind of East ish, but like, I never remember them coming through Canada. Like I, I'm sure they did. Um, but I, there was bands from the West that kind of came a lot more often. And yeah, I, I don't know. I just, I don't remember hearing of this band that much really, you know, sure. especially in comparison to bands like Silverstein and, um, you know, some of those, I mean, they were on victory, you know, at that time as well. And, so yeah, yeah I, I I don't know. Just just one of those bands that kind of flew under the radar for for whatever reason. Sure. I th- I don't think they toured as much as a lot of other bands, and and they put out a record after this, um, and I think that they toured the cycle for that, and then uh, went inactive, or you know at least weren't very busy. I mean, compared to a lot of other bands that would come through the Northeast, especially being from Eastern Canada. Um, you know, they weren't as busy or as frequent. So, you know, it could be that too. But yeah, but yeah man, this this is like, you know, hallmark sound of an era. And and I, I feel like all of these records so far and the ones that are forthcoming here in the five that I'm, I'm offering you, uh, they also change. It, it, a lot of the reason I felt like, uh, you know, they were important were for me first and foremost, but also it was so clear and direct the impact that they had and how not just music on victory, of course, but just like how the scene responded and lots of not, not uh, bands didn't just like copy them and, you know, stamp and print, you know, the same stuff. I mean, some did for sure. I mean, that's always how it was, but, but there were key ways that they just kind of changed the possibilities, you know, yeah, um, and Grade was definitely one of those bands. Definitely, I mean, even out here, one of the bands that people would say, I mean, I would always say it was underrated because a lot of people would probably be in your camp and say, yeah, yeah, I never really got into them. Yeah, I saw their name, but eh, just never had the chance. Yeah, whatever. well, I mean, there's there's lots of bands I love where it's the same thing, right? It just sometimes it's just the right place at the right time, or you know, you have a friend that's really into them, or. You know, in yeah. my case, I didn't have anybody that was really into them, so it just wasn't kind of an influence on me. So, but yeah, it's sure. it's a really cool pick because I think it's one that probably you know, especially with a discography as big as Victory, could easily kind of get lost because you know maybe they didn't blow up the same as some of the other bands. But um, yeah. yeah, lots of really great stuff in there. For sure. Yeah. So next one we're moving on to is Thursday's Full Collapse.
second album um, from Thursday, released April 10th, 2001 on Victory. Full Collapse helped to establish Thursday as an immensely popular group in the indie and alternative rock music scene. They reached 178 on the Billboard 200 and provided some of the earliest mainstream exposure to post-hardcore. I can I feel like I can still remember when when this band came out and and uh, yeah, just they were blowing up, you know, on Warp Tour and they were never one that that I could get into as much. Because um, I think at this point, you know, I had kind of like I was still into punk, but now was kind of into heavier stuff. And um, I don't know, it was just something about Thursday that I I I just couldn't kind of really connect with. But I mean, it it was everywhere. They were one of those bands that you know they were exploding everywhere. You'd go to shows, they were playing it, you know, on the PA and. And uh, I mean, it's it's a great record. It's it's not that I I don't enjoy it by any means. Um, but yeah, I would love to hear kind of how how this album influenced you or what what stood out to you on this. Yeah, um, well, I got into this band before this record came out. Probably not by long. It was probably looking back, it was probably like uh, I mean, it was just by circumstance. I think I went to see um, there was this melodic pop punk band that was on tooth and nail called element oh yeah element Um, 101 yeah yeah and i think they had put out something on a philly based tiny indie record label called sofa records before that that's how i kind of kind of knew them but they played this hole in the wall coffee shop um you know random spot that it was just this like little railroad space that could have fit like maybe 30 people and they happened to play it with Thursday. And I just remember being blown away in that context at Thursday's energy. And then, you know, they were everywhere. It was like the cycle for building up the press around Full Collapse began. And they, you know, they were New Jersey-based bands. So they were around a lot and they toured constantly. Um, and this album came out and it was like, it just appeared in everyone's back pocket. I mean, I don't remember going to buy it. I just remember it was on in my car all the time. I was listening to it constantly and I, and I loved it. I loved uh, a few things. I'll tell you first and foremost, I loved the drum sound. Do you remember who produced this album? Uh, I would have to say, man, I, I don't totally recall. Yeah, I I have this feeling later. that it would have been at Tracks East, but but maybe not um, with uh, Kravik um, or Steve Evitz. Oh, okay, um, not not totally sure. If you have a, the ability, look it up. I'm yeah, so curious. I'll check it out here. And... But uh, but the drum sounds, and you know this the the guy who was playing drums in the band played this. Uh, Io wood hooped, like super rich, warm, must have been birch. I mean, it was like just a quintessentially different drum kit in every regard. Big, washy, you know, K custom dark cymbals. Uh, sound like a total gear nerd here, but like it was just as a, as a drum, like growing up in being interested in jazz and listening to a lot of like totally different music and then getting into punk and hardcore i just felt like wow this is musically this is so different and the guitar players were completely similar you know jcm 800 amps really warm pushed but not like you know metal distorted guitars and you know their tones were just awesome and they sounded 
live amazing except for Jeff's vocals, which were like, you know, they were spazzy and yeah. good. But like, you know, it was never, to me, it was never like, oh man, super compelling vocalist. But, you know, awesome, thoughtful, insightful lyrics, really passionate delivery. Definitely. And, you know, it's one of those albums that I feel like captured a moment. Um, and they rose in a like meteoric fashion. I mean, over the course of six to 12 months, they went from like these tiny hole in the wall joints to like, you know, playing 2000, 2500 cap venues and yeah. selling out well ahead, you know, and, and I think they deserve to be, it was, it was something that took hardcore energy into, you know, this new direction that I feel like made paths for bands like you know bands that were e doing equal amounts of hard work to make paths but but the combination of thursday and bands like thrice and coheed and cambria and you know it really defined this era that was to come um you know that uh you know i mean i even remember seeing those three bands together in like a you know a venue that fit 250 people and and then you know a year later they did a tour and they were might have been in arenas or like, you know, uh, you know, theaters. And um, so, yeah, I just, I feel like it was a quintessential turning point type album. And while I listen to it now and I still love the tones, I still love what it innovated. I mean, it's a, it's a little harder vocally on the ears. I feel like, you know, it, it, it didn't, age as gracefully maybe and and might be the reason a lot of people who might, who could have gotten into it later might have a have trouble getting back to it but i also have to say i just i super appreciate the fact that like you know vocally it was not just processed bullshit you know yeah like like it was real actual performances you know a few years later i mean every band that would enter the studio would would you know come in and just auto tune the hell out of their tracks. And, you know, uh, to me, that's just sad and disappointing and uh, unnecessary because, you know, most of these people sing really, really freaking well. Yeah. Yeah. And what was cool with them is, yeah, like you said, he wasn't like this the smoothest vocalist, but you know, he just he had a, a special energy to him on stage. And I saw, saw them live on uh, the taste of chaos tour and, they were one of those bands that, yeah, you see them live and it's like, okay, like, you know, at least for me, there's a handful of bands like that where maybe I won't listen to them, but live, like, 100%, I'll, you know, I'll go watch them. And, yeah, there was something just really cool about that band. And and uh, just another neat thing about Victories, you know, even just thinking of Grade, who is, you know, maybe a bit smaller, smaller known Canadian band. And then you have a band like Thursday, right? Like, same label, I mean, different time, you know, or a few, few years difference anyways. Um, but just cool the the diversity of bands on Victory, you know, some just touring a bit here and there, and then bands like this that were, you know, maybe the biggest of the, of their kind. Then um, it says yeah. it was recorded at Big Blue Meanie in Jersey City. It doesn't I don't see a producer name on here, but I'm not sure if you're familiar with that studio or not. Yeah, that was. I don't know if it was like a room that that people would kind of use for its acoustics. You know, there was a number of records. I feel like at least for drums and guitars that people would go there. But 
I'd never been through. I, I'm not familiar with like you know who typically worked out of there. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I'll have to look into that further because you'd think it'd be a pretty big name producer on a band like this. Yeah, but, well, bear in mind, I mean, they weren't a big name band when they recorded this. They were. Yeah, I guess that's they, true. They were still tiny, and and to to that point, Victory had never you know, at least anything they had put out that was attempting to, to take things this direction never got to the to the size and, and to the sort of status that this record did. Yeah. And and so, you know, where, you know, bands that, that would follow Hawthorne Heights and, you know, you know, Silverstein and others, you know, I don't think that, that not to say they wouldn't have had the place, but like they took the ramp that this type of album created and crushed and then you know obviously are awesome bands that you know that were writing fantastic music and you know but it but it, it really kind of changed what people were willing to expect from victory where before that i mean dude you know you look at like the discography for victory between 97 and 2000 and really grade and 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 uh, maybe boy sets fire were the furthest out you know? Yeah. Um, and then you had this and it sort of like, you know, changed things to like, Oh, this is indie rock. This is, you know, this can be a rock label. And then, you know, I mean, obviously the, with, with those bands and, you know, taking back Sunday and I mean, everything, it just kind of blew wide open. They became almost like a, you know, I know statistically they were at a time in the mid, you know, the first decade of, uh, you know, that new millennium there, uh, or this new millennium, I should say, uh, you know, they were like, you know, by figures, the largest independent rock label out there for a time. Yeah. It'd be really interesting to hear kind of who, you know, who was behind that or who was making those decisions. Like if it was like, okay, we need to branch out, like try and grow the label or just take a chance on new bands or, or whatever it was, you know, I mean, lots of labels did that. I guess you can only put the same thing out for so long, but you know, it, for for a label that was more known for heavier stuff to, you know, get a demo from a band like this. And it's like, oh, is this, you know, is this going to fly or is this just going to flop? Or So I'm sure. I'm sure there was a lot of lot of surprise people there. But, you know, lots of, yeah, lot, lots of cool moments with that and, and a band that's going to stand out for sure. So the last one on the list here is Comeback Kids Wake the Dead. Try, we live, survive, dirty 
released on Victory on February 22nd, 2005. Um, yeah, this this is one that, that really hits home for me. You know, at this time, Comeback Kid was still pretty much a Winnipeg-based band, uh, which we mentioned, you know, wasn't too far from here. So they always kind of felt like somewhat of a local band. I actually, I was I was friends with um, the guy who was playing bass um, on Turn It Around. Um, is that Cliff? Yeah, Cliff. Yeah, he was a cool dude. And so, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I'd seen them a few times, kind of smaller shows. and um, But yeah, then they signed to Victory and were kind of, you know, getting a lot more exposure and more tours and and uh yeah this album is just such a game changer you know it continues to be a melodic hardcore staple and a fan favorite and was just such a step up from turning around i mean that album is awesome but um this one you know just the songwriting and the and the quality of production and and I, yeah this i think this is a really good example and um, i've talked to cliff lots about so he he left the band kind of when this album was coming out um, but I always just love hearing him talk about this era and, you know, just everything happening at the right time. And yeah, it was so many cool stories from that. So why, why did you pick this album from them? Um, I picked this, yeah, because I, I love the band. I, you know, they, they, it's interesting because this brings us to an era that was sort of beside, you know, the, the busiest era for with honor when we were out. And, you know, with Comeback Hit, our paths crossed and we became fast friends and we did lots of touring together before this record and then and then after this record. In fact, you know, one of the best tours uh, and most fun tours we ever did was with Comeback Kid, beginning, you know, March 5th. And I, I believe the tour began in Toronto, um, but March 5th, 2005, and it was there their tour for this album and it was it was uh comeback kid bane with honor and silent drive um and it was like six weeks long and you know just an unbelievable defining type of tour mm, yeah it um, sounds amazing yeah and and i mean it was just part of why i picked this album is is the band is definitive i felt like you know victory kind of came back to uh to hardcore with this album and then you know bands like with honor and others that would come like they made sort of like a re-up um you know once thursday snapped and they went in this you know more kind of rock and melodic direction they really didn't put out too many hardcore records so for people like me who's you know defining records you know were Snapcase and hatebreed and earth crisis and you know the label changed dramatically and that was part, partially like that the scene had changed a lot and they wanted to grow, I'm sure. And they saw all sorts of opportunity and success. It makes complete sense. Don't get me wrong. But, um, but when, they, when they got a hold of Comeback Kid and then Comeback Kid, you know, with their face down release, turn it around before this, they just were, I mean, exploding, um, you know, by the, by the week. And then, um, you know, they put this record together, which delivered. It was awesome. An, uh, just like such a refreshing combination of so many elements in hardcore that I love, uh, you know, melodic, energetic, positive, you know, lots of bounce and, and, uh, you know, we, it was just so much fun. Yeah. Um, you know, well beyond just like cheap mosh and, you know, uh, singing along to some, you know, just destructive, negative crap. Um, and so loved it. And then, you know, obviously to see friends experience the kind of success with it, 
Um, and to be out on that tour, I mean, it was just insane. I mean, you know, we, the first week we were, you know, it was like Toronto, Montreal, Quebec, Boston, New York, Philly, DC. And I mean, to sell out like everywhere, including CBGB's before it closed. And, you know, you're just like, uh, it was an awesome moment for the band. And, um, and those songs were the reason why, I mean, it just crushed. And, uh, those six weeks just followed suit that way everywhere we went. It was awesome. Um, and so, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I just think it became, it took melodic hardcore into a whole new place, mm, um, yeah. and, and kind of introduced, um, you know, a scene that was vibrant and that was, that was thriving in its own, in its own right, but it connected it on a whole other level. And, uh, I think, you know, loads of bands like us had come back in and, and this release to thank for that. Yeah. Yeah. And what's so cool about them is just, I mean, they're essentially kind of, you know, hardcore legends now, you know, they've been around for so long every at least in my opinion every album they put out is amazing you know they're they'd be in my top five favorite bands and it's just yeah it's really cool seeing a band you know kind of like hate breed for you like you know for them seeing a band that you know i wasn't you know super close with with any of them or but just a band that was from this area gaining exposure you know that's still going now you know i i know a few of them enough that um you know when they come through like you know we hang out or chat for a bit and and uh, so kind of, you know, it has that personal vibe to it, but, you know, then you'll see them playing these big festivals in Europe, and I don't know, it's just really cool to see a band like this that, you know, isn't very mainstream sounding by any means, you know, they're, they're not hard to listen to, but, you know, they've never tried to go light or, or you know, add singing or all that kind of stuff, and so, yeah, mm-hmm. awesome band, and they just always have so much to offer, I, I, I love them so much. Yeah, yeah, classic, completely cool. So we're going to end here talking about um, one of my favorite um, Victory Records albums, and that is With Honors, This Is Our Revenge. Sisters that I- 
okay, never mind. Really? Oh, dude, yeah. <laughs> so this this album came out two thousand five as well, right? So it's yeah, kind of same same year as Wake the Dead. Um, yeah. Uh, so you guys had you guys just had the one full length out. Just Heart Means Everything was that the only other kind of major album you had out before this one? That was the only other full length. We so we had uh, a demo seven inch that we put out. Then we did the full length, and then we did a split seven inch, like another short, you know three song uh, split seven inch and release. Um, and then we went in for this full length. Yeah. And so how did you guys get, get connected with victory and sign with them between uh, heart means everything in this album? Was it just yeah, kind of well, a, a natural progression or how did that come about? Uh, yeah. I mean, I'll try to go through it. I mean, I don't, it wasn't so much a natural progression. I mean, we, we were really, fortunate to have bands that took us out and that, you know, we got to tour with everyone from, you know, Bane and Comeback Kid, like I mentioned, to Sick of It All and Agnostic Front. And, you know, I mean, we, we it was, you know, Hatebreed and so many friends, so many good, good uh, trips. And so, you know, the band was growing and we knew that we needed to put out a record on a, on a label that had, you know, larger distribution networks than, then stillborn, which was awesome. And, you know, put out our first record and, you know, Jamie was really gracious and knew this. So, you know, we kind of were shopping around, um, you know, just to have the opportunity at the, at the very least to have a wider distribution because, you know, at that time still people were buying CDs. That was yeah. really normal. So, um, so yeah, I think, you know, the year prior we were touring a ton and we were coming across people and, this melodic hardcore like comeback kid and like with honor was, was starting to show that it had legs and it was getting really popular. And so the labels were very interested to talk to bands like us. Um, and so we were talking to a number of different labels and, you know, we, we had our, our hesitance getting in with victory for good reason, you know, lots, loads of stories that we're not mentioning. Um, and you know, things went the way they did, which will also be a story that would be a waste of time to get into, but, um, but yeah, they just presented an opportunity, you know, the legacy of the label, even at that time, like, or I should say more the lineage, you know, they, even despite, you know, negative, uh, press that they had gotten, you know, with different disputes and issues, they had put out some of, you know, the foundational hardcore records that we were into. And so, um, you know, when we could compare different offers, um, you know, from the various folks we were talking to, it, it was the one that made the most sense that gave us the size and the scale and for reach, you know, in terms of like reaching new people and, and being able to reach people internationally. And, and, you know, as compared to some of the other labels we were talking to, which would have had the same reach, but didn't have the background or the trust of the hardcore community looking back, you know? Um, and so that's, I think a big reason why we went with that. Mm. And what do you remember about the writing and recording of this album? So that you guys recorded this with Brian McTurnan. Is that, that's right. We did. Yeah. Yeah. yeah who is, who is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. We yeah. had, we had him on here not too long ago on the, on the podcast and yeah, like, man, that, that guy's crazy. What was that experience like? Uh, it was amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I listened to that episode cause I'm a huge fan of the be well record. Um, yeah, so that good. came out this year. Super into it. Uh, yeah, I um, 
I adored working with Brian. I thought it was, I mean, it was the best recording experience by far. And, and I mean, to say by far is just a gross understatement. You know, we, we had been really lucky. I mean, we recorded our demo with Adam D from Kill Switch Engage. Oh yeah, right on. Um, we recorded our first full length with Kurt from God City, Converge. Um, and, you know, and, uh, you know, we've recorded tons of demos with like Greg Thomas at Silver Bullet Studios, who's done Misery Signals and Shia Lude Sense and, you know, all sorts of cool stuff. Yeah. Um, plays in the band and uh, amongst other things. Yeah, awesome um, guy. Yeah, unreal. Um, and so, you know, there's no shortage of great people, but there was something, and I think it was really just where I was at and Brian's resonance, his you know, I think it was just that the right thing at the right time. And I speak, you know, particularly for me, like that experience for me was exactly what I needed. And it was definitive. Um, Obviously the sound that we kind of innovated for that record was way beyond what we had done prior. Um, It was much more punk and melodic. And it was me trying to stretch myself vocally in ways I hadn't. And he just like, yeah, he just created an environment that, you know, removed all pretense. And I felt like it was the most creative and positive uh, a process that that I had been a part of. Whereas prior, everything was very like, okay, cool, we're getting in, we're getting it done. Um, and and I don't think that was the result of who was you know at the helm. I think it was just kind of where we were as a band. You know, our lack of you know, a firmly set identity for what we were doing. And, um, but yeah, it was one of the last projects that was recorded at the Beltsville studio, the, the classic studio. And I mean, I remember getting there and like, I think like the hot water lyrics to caution were oh, like, yeah. you know, up, up on the glass door, like, oh, you know, Brian was like, yeah, I'm, I'm never going to move these, you know? And, and, you know, you're just like, I mean, to me, because, you know, Brian had recorded so many, of the albums and seven inches all the way back that were for me coming up in the Northeast. Cause he was based in Boston before that, you know, all of the, the early Bane seven inches and give blood and, you know, and then thrice's artist in the ambulance and yeah. illusion of safety before that, you know, it just every, you know, strike anywhere, all these bands that I absolutely love, love, love were recorded in that room. And so there was, of course, a gravity to being there that was even beyond just he and uh, Schleibaum, you know, who was doing a lot of the tracking with us, Mike Schleibaum, who's in Be Well and Darkest Hour. You know, those guys just created space from where I sat that was just the healthiest, coolest. Um, And yeah, I just felt like, you know, that album, we began thinking about that album earlier that year. And I think we were on tour with like, stretch armstrong and h2o we came off then we went out with you know bane and comeback kid and silent drive for six weeks and we got back did like maybe like most precious blood and throwdown or something like that and then we just like wrote and i just felt like it was uh, the healthiest time i felt like there was ink in the pen so to speak like it just felt like the things that i started to write about were really they mattered to me and it felt very sustainable and meaningful to sit with them for much longer than I 
than life sort of allowed for the stuff prior. Yeah. Not to say I'm not proud of it. It's just more, it just, it hit on a whole other level. And so, you know, um, you know, be it like conflict that was going on in my personal life at the time, or be it, uh, you know, political stuff. I mean, it, it, you know, there was plenty happening and, uh, yeah. So yeah, it was awesome. Plus we had, you know, probably three weeks in the studio or, you know, three and a half weeks with Brian in, in Maryland. Um, and, um, you know, it just provided a contour to the experience where, you know, we got to just like kind of really dive headfirst into it in a way that we hadn't for the things that we had done prior. Yeah, man. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. It was cool. And, and again, I mean, the cult of personality and I mean, I, I of course had this like, man, you're incredible type of vibe walking in the door, but like all of his humanity and just the person that he proved to be dwarfed all that stuff. You know, he's like, he's one of the best. And, uh, and then he's an unbelievably legendary, you know, uh, musician, you know, and, and producer as well but i feel like all that compared to the type of person he is and the type of energy he exudes is you know pales in comparison yeah right on man yeah thanks for sharing all that i mean there's there's so much more cool stuff we could get into and maybe we we can do that some other time but um yeah to kind of wrap up have you been involved in any other kind of musical ventures the last few years or where are you at with music these days Oh man. I mean, I listen to a lot of it. I spin plenty of records. I, I write songs. I mean, I, over the years I played in some, some various like indie projects. I've written a lot of songs. My, my main crowd right now are five and nine years old and I, you know, sing them to sleep most nights. Uh, you mean scream them to I'm, sleep? <laughs> no, not so much. <laughs> I mean, um, but yeah, the, the crowd has changed over the years, but yeah, man, I, you know, it's, it's, uh, yeah, music, it's always there. It's just like, you know, how much I've been able to be involved. There's been different seasons, uh, you know, for With Honor and Life in Your Way, both that we've gotten together and done various things. You know, this past year, pre-COVID, you know, With Honor was slated to get together to celebrate our 15-year anniversary for Revenge. So oh, man. we had actually been working on some reissues on the albums, which are still in process. And um yeah, we were going to play and, and still intend to play whenever it does happen, uh, Furnace Fest, the, the revamped Furnace Fest. Um, and we'll probably do dates around that. Yeah, um, awesome. But then, of course, you know, because you do, I mean, you start thinking about that stuff and then you start like trading song ideas and, um, you know, there's there's some things cooking. But I mean, where it'll go, who knows? I mean, yeah. I can't really see that. Um, but it's exciting, you know. Uh, to touch that energy again. And I think everybody uh, in the band, which, you know, is very unusual that any band has all of its original members and never really operated, um, you know, for a significant amount of time, at least, you know, without them, um, you know, we have kind of all reconnected and for the first time are, are like, oh man, you know, it'd be cool to just like trade ideas and, you know, put some things together and see what happens. So, you know, might be something around the bend. We'll see. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Todd, it's been, uh, it's been a pleasure getting to hear these stories and connect again. And we've been trying to make this happen for a bit. So yeah, this is awesome. It brings me a lot of joy and so fun just talking about music and just, you know, music that influenced us and, 
you know, even though, like you said, we're kind of, you know, past that point of our life where we're, you know, really pursuing it or getting into it. But I don't know, at least it seems like it's still a big influence on your life and it's still kind of a part of who you are. And, and so that's, that's, that's really cool to, to see that. Oh, it's huge. It's pivotal. I mean, you know, getting into like starting my own business and, you know, being a parent. I mean, it's like all the, all the, the, the most important things like my family and doing my very best, just like waking up and, you know, learning from mistakes, you know, falling on your face, picking yourself back up. I feel like punk and hardcore are definitive voices in a consistent ongoing way to like what it takes to just get through life yeah. and let alone to, to aspire to like thrive in life. So yeah, man, I'm forever grateful. And I absolutely appreciate the opportunity to join you and your listeners uh, and just kind of hobnob on with honor and victory records and uh, wish everyone and uh, in you the very best. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. That's uh, that's funny. You mentioned that about, about punk and hardcore, like, I've never really thought about that before. Usually it's, you know, parents saying like, oh, what are you doing? You're wasting your life. It's like, hey, I'm getting these skills that people take years to learn. You know, like, who knew that, you know, playing crappy shows and sleeping on floors and all this stuff would would set you up, you know, like whether it's to start a business or to become a parent or something, you know, something else in life that, that is hard to do and takes struggle but is also so rewarding at the same time. So that's that's a really that's a really cool idea. I've never really thought about that before. So, yeah, awesome. Yeah, I'd be lost without it. Yeah, well, that's a good way to end. And uh, thanks so much again. It's been awesome. Cheers. Thank you. Ever seen a duck fight? No way. Why? Because the other animals are afraid. They know that if they mess with one duck, they got to deal with the whole flock.